You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning, and uh, a couple things before we get to Romans 8, if you want to work your way there, Romans chapter 8, as I do myself, a couple things. One is, uh, you saw it maybe briefly on the slides, but our prayer meeting is going on this week, 6.30, Wednesday night, uh, in the fireside room. So if you want to continue to join us and be part of one of the most crucial parts of what we do is seeking the Lord for the ministry of the church and for our missionaries and others, um, come be a part of that at 6.30. Also, just wanted to mention um, in your boxes, just a gift for each one of your families from, from our family, uh, and it's a book. So what does a pastor give but books? But I, I like giving books, and this is fun to give out a book um, for you guys, and hopefully a book you can use. So if you haven't got yours or checked your mailbox, your mailbox is under your name. Some of you don't have a mailbox yet, or if you like one, give me your uh, name just to make sure. And we'll, I'm sorry we don't have all of yours yet, but um, some are just sitting out there, but there's one copy in your mailbox. And when we read through the Advent uh, season here, the readings are really going to just come from here. So you'll notice, boy, we read that one and we're hearing it here. That's uh, Jeff and Maria wrote, wrote, uh, read from some of the introduction to this, and then it's basically 25... Uh, devotionals up till Christmas that you as a family or on your own, you can just read through part of the Advent season. So hopefully it's a help to you, a way maybe just to kickstart kick start some time with the family, doing something meaningful, look up the scriptures, read it together, discuss it, and hopefully that's a help to you. And then that's where our, some of our readings, you're going to notice them here as well. All right, well, we're, we're in Romans 8. Again, we'll be here, I believe, next week as well, and then maybe get Towards, I mean, every, is not everything in Christ a Christmas theme? He has come. He is everything, but maybe a little more towards that. But uh, I'm going to read a little bit from last week, though. I want to catch Stuart. Is Stuart here today? He is not. Is he sick? I won't broadcast that, but he's not. Whatever. Sorry. Let's just talk about Stuart. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, John. I put you on the spot, so he's not here. Well, Stuart, I don't know if you're watching, but your picture's up here. Two of them from last week. And uh, one was, or Stu, the full armor of God. That was on Stuart's mind. That's great. And then Joshua's army. So something with armor and arm, army was, I don't know, that was Sunday school, or maybe you guys were talking in the car or whatever. But um, we serve the God of hosts, the God of armies. And he grants us his armor through his word and through his spirit who dwells within. And that's what we're going to be looking at in Romans 8. So thank you, Stuart. All right, well, let's come to the scripture, come to our passage today. I'm going to start at verse 1 once again, and I'm going to read through verse 11 in Romans 8. Let's listen to God's word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit." 
For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Let's seek the Lord again. Lord, I seek you right now for what we will look at through this passage. It is your word, and may my words of just reflecting and looking on this scripture, may you use them um, to encourage us in this glorious truth that is before us. Lord, more glorious than maybe we even acknowledge that you, O God, of the ages, the eternal God, dwells with man, dwells with us. You dwelt with us coming in uh, as a baby in order that we might dwell with you. Lord, may we savor that today as we think on these things. Guide us by your Spirit. and Guide me as I preach and as we head through this word. And we pray this in your name. Amen. It says here, verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh. And so... Verse 9 here sets these Roman believers apart from what we looked at last week, the flesh, those in the flesh. And the first verb you come to in verse 9 is, a, is are. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh. And it, it's interesting, it comes from the same verbal root that we saw in verse 5, where the ESV translated those who live according to the flesh, or, or you could say those who are according to the flesh. So the ones Paul writes to here in Rome, these ones he's writing to, they are are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And it's a specific group Paul is writing to. He's writing to the regenerate, to the believers, to the justified, the saved, who are in the Spirit. So verses 9 through 11, they're going to draw out, what does it mean to have the Spirit? But it's really, it's not till verses 12 and 13 that I think we'll look at next week that we get Paul saying, now go do this, or here's something to do. Rather here, 9 through 11, it's more, I think, Paul's concern, what do we know? What do we have? What are the riches for one who is in the Spirit? And So as we get into verses 9 through 11, we come across really the first of four if statements. And maybe in your English you've got three, but there's actually four if, I-F, conditional statements in this. Look at verse 9 once again. It says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And you've got this word, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone, or they could could say there, if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, there's comforting words here 
these comforting words, you're, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. That's, that's wonderfully comforting words. But on the heels of Paul's statement comes what appears to be a, a conditional statement. As I said, that, those little words, that little word of I and an F, an if statement. And perhaps the comfort of the first part of the verse is disrupted by this little word, if. And a little word can cause concern. And maybe this comfort of being in the Spirit seems to erode away. So, wow, not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if. And there's some condition attached to this. So what is Paul up to here saying this if? Now, we'll get to some some other things, but let's just think about, in a broad sense, what Paul's aim is here. Is Paul here, is he offering a true statement, like, like verse the beginning of verse 9, you are not, however, in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Is he offering that just to kind of turn around and raise some doubts of whether that's true? And I think starting here helps us see, I don't think that's what Paul's aim is. I think rather than seeing his aim is to sow doubts in the reader, you know, why don't you Doubt this. Doubt if you're in the Spirit. I think it's instead to sow confidence of what you have. What is the situation? What is your status? And the status is confidence of the possession of the indwelling Spirit of God. Let's keep thinking about this. And then, so look at the second part of verse 9 where it says, at least in the English, you've got, um, it confirms, maybe it's part of troubling as well, that anyone without the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. And so there's a sense of conditional language here. The anyone here can actually, if you translate it, can mean if anyone, or if, if one who does not have the Spirit does not belong to him. And so this, continu- this conditional language, perhaps to us, just find maybe troubling. Do, do I really, you know, questions like, do I really belong then? I mean, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong. Do I belong? Just want to encourage you, before we look at other things here, is what, just ask this question, what do those that are troubled, if you're troubled by the if statement, what is it that you want? I want the Spirit. I want Christ. Those would want the assurance of the Spirit. Or you want to know that God dwells in you. I don't think those that have the, the mind of the flesh, the unregenerate, as we looked at, those in the flesh, those that are hostile to God, those that are at enmity with God, are worried about whether they have God or whether they want God. But I think if you're worried on the, on the if question here, if in fact the Spirit of God, well, man, I'm a little bit worried about, does the Spirit of God dwell in me? I think at least there in, it, in and of itself is a good indication that indeed the Spirit of God does dwell in you, for you want the Spirit. And even that wanting comes from the Lord, the wanting of God. But there's a couple other considerations, just as we're just kind of starting verse 9, thinking about this if. And one comes from the very beginning of the verse, the very beginning of the sentence. Doug Moo points out here that verse 9, this beginning phrase is emphatic. In fact, you could, you could literally translate the first part of this verse as, as Paul saying, um, but you all you all are not in the flesh. There's kind of two U's. You don't see it in your English so much, but it's like a double, not a double U like the letter W, but the double U. You all, you all. And when that happens, there's this emphasis. Like Paul's just saying, you all. 
you. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And so, Doug Moo would write with the opinion here, Paul's, he's assuming the reality of the Christian's experience. He says here and throughout the letter, Paul addresses the Romans as believers. And the, the shift from the general third person in verses 7 through 8, okay, third person like, like he, them, you know, the mind that is set, or those, that sort of thing, changes here to this second, this direct address in verse 9, you all. So there's, there's those, and then Paul's addressing you, you all. You see that there? And then he shifts back in the, the second part of the verse to, to kind of this anyone, back to the third person. So taking in the kind of a wider lens of Romans and the emphasis here, it seems like Paul knows who he's writing to, even if he's never met them. You all, you are, you are in the Spirit. But there's also the, the if statement, and there, there's another way of, saying, of seeing even this, this if statement, the first if of the four here. Halfway through verse 9, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And let me dwell on that just a little bit longer. So where Paul says here, where he says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, you it could also be translated this way, with the word since, or the word seeing that. Uh, Leon Morris notes the phrase used by Paul. It's, it's not a way of throwing doubt on the divine indwelling. Paul's if here means if like in as is the case or as in the case. Uh, one ancient writer, Chrysostom, he writes this of Paul's use of the word if as a, as a term meaning, you know, Paul uses this when he is quite persuaded of the thing. Okay, so sometimes we might read this and, and look at it and say, boy, if the Spirit, and I'm going to really question this, Chrysostom. Thosostom, if I can say his name and others, you know, would say, no, this is a part of saying, if in, in fact this is since, it's the case. And maybe that's what the ESV is getting at with this, this sense of if in fact. Maybe it would be better if it, here's a fact. Uh, if I said, I just used it in Sunday school this morning, if I was saying something about God's sovereignty, I said, now, if God is sovereign, you know, and I usually usually end that phrase or continue that phrase, and since he is, or you can hear with that, if God is sovereign, then we can trust him. If I said, if God is sovereign, we can trust him, you would say, and he's not wondering if God is sovereign. He's saying, since God is. That's the sense in which what we've got here. It's, it's, a, it's a proclamation of, of truth. or It's what's implied in fact. All right. So these explanations, they, they might not subdue every troubling thought that comes with if statements. Hopefully they're helpful. But I think what helps us too is just to come back. What's, what's Paul's greater emphasis in the context? What's, what's he doing here? I don't think it's in this, his task here to cast doubt, but to relish in what? To relish in the indwelling spirit within the believer. And so the, the greater context here, you know, we've, we've zoomed in on one part of it. The greater t- context seems to point to the truths of the God's indwelling spirit and a spirit giving life to all those in Christ. Now, having dealt with the, the if statements here a little bit, you'll notice too, just before we get to verse 10, just the way, different ways Paul addresses the spirit here. Do you see it? You've got the, the spirit of God, or you've got the spirit of Christ, or you just have the spirit. Or verse 11, you've got the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. So this is not God becoming the spirit 
or Christ taking over the Holy Spirit. They are the three persons, but we do see here this Trinitarian nature coming out of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One, in essence, one God in three persons. And the glorious truth, then, if we catch what Paul is, the glorious truth is that this, this Trinitarian God, for you who believe in Christ, is indwelling in you. A couple verses to kind of just pile on and add to what Paul is saying about the Spirit of God that dwells within. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, asks, do you not know? You know, Paul's not really asking, do you not know? He's, do you not know? In fact, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Or 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your, in your body. Or a few verses before that, Paul says, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. What formerly made its home within us was the one in the flesh that we looked at last week, where evil and worldliness, hostility towards God resides. But if the Spirit of God now dwells within, it's like there is a new, well, obviously we're a new creation, there's a new homeowner. Some of the old carpet might still be around that the Spirit is sanctifying us in, but God is even in that God is doing this renovation within us. And one day, this old house will be completely transformed. Think of this. The same Spirit that hovered over the face uh, of the waters in creation. That Spirit is mentioned. The same Spirit that descended upon Jesus after His baptism. The same Spirit that spoke through the prophets of old. This one called the Helper and the one whose mission is to glorify Christ, that same Spirit dwells in all who believe in Christ. As we move on with our our study, I think the overwhelming, the nature, the thrust here is not of rejoicing in what we do, what we've attained. It's really the glories of God, of His indwelling Spirit within, and the hope that that offers. Let's look then at verse 2. 10, where Paul says, but if, there's another one, if Christ is in you, maybe some would say since, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So again, these if statements, they continue. And in verse 10, we're considering this truth for Paul, if Christ is in you, if he be in you, one, the body is dead although because of sin, but the Spirit is life. A couple thoughts. One on the body. This, this body is dead because of sin. When Paul states that, I, th- I think for the most part, he's acknowledging the reality of physical death, that Christians still die. One of my commentaries, John Murray, pointed me back, again, where we've been already, Romans 5, verse 12, that says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, remember this, <clears throat> and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes it as this, this perishable body that must put on the imperishable. So though this body is dead on, a, on account of sin physically, and, and I can't rule out here, thinking back to chapter 7, Paul's speaking about who will rescue me from this, this body of sin and death. Yet the Spirit, though, that's, though that is here, and is the case, the Spirit is life on account of righteousness. Now some of your versions and different commentators and scholars are going to look at this second part of verse 10. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And you'll either have a capital Spirit, S like Holy Spirit, or you'll have a lowercase Spirit, like, like the Spirit within. And so there's some discussion regarding that. I'm not going to get into that long. But is this the Holy Spirit or just the, the Spirit of mankind? The context here seems, I think, to lean in the direction that the ESV has it here of the Spirit being capitalized, the, the Holy Spirit. Again, if we go back to Jesus' words, we've, I've used them before in reference, John 6.63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is no help at all. It must be, if, if our little s, if our little spirit is to come to life, it must be the life-giving spirit of God, if any of us, if to have any life. In fact, in verse 2, if you gaze up to chapter 8, verse 2, he's called it for the law of the spirit of life. Or even just in our context, over and over, and I think this is where this idea is coming from, three times, the Spirit is talked about as indwelling. This, the Spirit of God who dwells in you, verse 9. Or you've got it, I think, twice in verse 11. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Or the, the last, through His Spirit who dwells in you. But then how does the Holy Spirit, then how does He give life on account of righteousness? I mean, if sin brings death, if we think of that in that way, if sin brings death, then then righteousness, the opposite of sin, brings life. But for those dead in sin, there's no way that this could be done. And I think Romans 5, again, to kind of call back to that, verses 18 through 21, help us thinking through this, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Listen to Romans 5, 18 through 21, or if you want to, that's not that far, is it? You can head back there, look at it, there it is. It says this, Therefore, yeah, I'll wait for you. That's great. You can see this. This is far away. Romans 5, 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness, who's Christ's? One act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And who's the all men? All men in Christ. Verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, and I think that's where we might tie body, death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Doug Moo writes this here, I believe on verse 10. Paul is teaching that the believer, although still bound to an earthly, mortal body, 
as residing with him or her the spirit, the power of new spiritual life, which conveys both that life in the sense of deliverance from condemnation enjoyed now and the future resurrection life that will bring transformation to the body, this body of death itself. All this takes place because of righteousness. This righteousness being that imputed righteousness which leads to life. Not our righteousness, but Christ's righteousness imputed to us, received by faith. And so we in Christ have life, and this Spirit is life because of righteousness. And so we we come to verse 11. So if, here's that's the third one, uh, fourth one, I'm sorry, third one in your, in your English here, 11, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Just what, what defines this here? What defines, if we had to define the Spirit based on this verse, what defines this indwelling Spirit? Who resides in us? Here's how Paul would, would say, he'd say, he'd say, remember that Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead? You remember that, that miracle of miracles? Do you, you remember that? Great, that, that same Spirit is going to bring life to your dead body and it dwells within you now, today. Jesus, having died for sin, was raised to life. Peter tells the group, if you remember back to Acts chapter 2, and he tells the group gathered there, he says that this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And Acts 2 verse 24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then Peter goes on to explain later in verses 31 and 32 that that David, writing long ago before Jesus, that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In fact, verse 32 says, This Jesus God raised up. This Jesus, God raised up. So in verse 11, just look at the words. Just look at your English Bible and what, what's repeated here. We've got such words like raised twice. We've got given life. So there's this raised Jesus from the dead, who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. We've got who also give life. And then those two words I've already mentioned, dwell. Dwells in you. And the last part, dwells in you. It's, I think it's a crescendo in a way of this glorious truth that this same Spirit of God, the Father, who raised Christ from the dead, is dwelling within us. Yes, the body is dead on account of sin, yet the Spirit within is life. And if Jesus is raised, then so too all in Him. The resurrection of Jesus, it, it verifies His righteous, His holiness, And therefore, all who look to the Son are declared righteous. That's our justification. And so by the Spirit have life. Colossians 2 puts it this way. This is Colossians 2, 
verses 12 through 14. It says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So this same Father, the Father who raised Christ, the Son, via the Spirit, has given both life and peace in the now. Mindset in the Spirit is life and peace. Verse, uh, verse 6. So it's in the now. And there's that promised one day, this resurrection of our own bodies from the dead. God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, will also give life here to your mortal bodies. Truly, the perishable will become the imperishable. This this mortal body, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, must put on immortality. And then he, he, he says, concludes saying, this will come to pass, this saying will come to pass, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you can see it in verse 11, I think there's a past, present, and future going on here in this verse. Remember the past. Remember that spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. Now here in the present, this same Spirit is dwelling within you. And then in the future, the one who raised in the past shall raise you as well. Again, to quote from Chrysostom, he says, Now be not thou afraid because thou art compassed about with a dead body. Let it have the Spirit and it shall assuredly rise again. In my study, I came across, I look at different commentaries, one by Calvin and specifically aimed really here at verse 10. This Verse 10 where it says, If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. But it seems fitting to read. It's a little longer. It's not very long. A little, but I think it's, it's fitting to read as we think back on this indwelling spirit of God who dwells now and who will raise us in the end. Calvin writes, the children of God are counted spiritual, not on the ground of a full and complete perfection, but only on the account of the newness of life that is begun in them. And Paul here anticipates here an occasion of doubt which might have otherwise disturbed us. For for though the Spirit possesses a part of us, we yet see another part still under the power of death. He then gives this answer that the power of quickening is in the Spirit of Christ, which will be effectual in swallowing up our mortality. Paul calls the Spirit life, not only because He lives and reigns in us, but also because He quickens us by His power until at length, having destroyed the mortal flesh, He perfectly renews us. The meaning of Paul then is that although sin adjudges, which just I think means 
Although sin determines us to death or brings us to death or finds death in us as far as the corruption of our first nature remains in us, yet that the Spirit of God is its conqueror. Nor is it any hindrance that we are only favored with the first fruits, for even one spark of the Spirit is the seed of life. The Spirit of God is its conqueror. Christian, we have hope in the Spirit who indwells within us. He gives us armor to conquer in Christ, in the Spirit. Our assurance of present life in the Spirit and a future resurrection, this assurance, it comes not from looking within, looking to my perfections or how I'm doing, but looking again to Christ. And all, all the glory goes to the Lord. For it's by His Spirit that First Corinthians is going to talk about that any of us can say, Jesus is Lord. That is from His Spirit, by His Spirit. And may we glory in the grace of God to then make His home among us and in us by His Spirit. Christ is not some far-off Savior, but He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, the Father granting us life through His Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that by the blood of Christ we have been brought near. By the Spirit we've been given these eyes to see, this heart that has been made alive by you and all this is by your grace. May it result in our praise and our glory of you, whether it's Christmas time or any time of the year, really, Lord, for eternity. May the words, may we say, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And sing it loud for your grace. And thank you, Lord, that you dwell within us. May we be thoughtful of this. Lord, there, there are ways in which we, want to glor- we need to glorify God with our body and with what we do, the things we do. Let it come out of an understanding of just, just who we are. Who does dwell within the spirit of him? who raised Jesus from the dead. May we be sensitive to your spirit. May we read your word according to your spirit. May you guard us and guide us by your spirit. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 